Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 154. The Surf Ranch Pro, presented by 805 Beer, stop number six on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, completed over the weekend, with five-time WSL champion Carissa Moore and San Clemente's Griffin Colapinto taking the wins. New format for this year's event. The surfing has never been better at the venue, and we talk about it a lot in today's episode. We are post-relegation, and the race for the WSL Final Five ahead of September's Rip Curl WSL Finals is well and truly on. Up next is Event 7, the Surf City El Salvador Pro, with the world's best surfers taking on one another at the right-hand point break of Punta Roca. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 154. We are back with my co-host for this season, where he kindly nurses me through my jet lag from the last couple of weeks. Uh, additional thanks to my family, friends, and colleagues for the time and space to take a trip, by the way. Uh, we run through winners and losers from the Surf Ranch Pro presented by 805 Beer, discuss yet another shakeup in the Visla CT Shaper rankings, and answer listener questions. We had a lot of fun on this podcast, and we hope you do too. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And now I just say, put him up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I <laughs> boxing. All right, we are back with the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan, here with my part-time co-host for this season, Mitch Salazar, where we have both just returned from stop number six of 10 on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Surf Ranch Pro, presented by 805 Beer. The event was won by five-time world champion Chris Amore and San Clemente's Griffin Colapinto. Mitch, you and I were both there. You were in the booth pretty much every time I looked at the screen. So eagle-eyed on every single maneuver of every single wave. How was your experience up there uh, this year? It was amazing, Dave. I think it's maybe the fourth or fifth time I've been able to cover an event at the Surf Ranch, the second time in person. And uh, yeah, just being able to witness surfing and especially with the new format, I thought it was very inviting to our viewers. And especially after the mid-season cut, I thought it made it much better. Um, but overall, great experience, great surfing, new champion on the men's side, which was really nice to see. New finalists too, Italo Fajeda making his first final and his best result this season. So like to see that. And then on the women's side, the dominance once again of Carissa Moore at the Surf Ranch Dave looked great. Absolutely. And you mentioned it, like we we have run events here over the years. Like there's been CT events, there's been exhibition events. And I, I've said this the last few times and I'm, I'm I'm pretty certain in this opinion and its accuracy, which is it seems like every year we come back, the surfing gets better and better. You know, it's not to say that the surfers those first few years 
weren't the best surfers in the world. It was just such a new thing. And I think there was some conservatism that was going into their approaches yep. to the wave. There was the new pressure, new feelings. And even for the rookies who hadn't had a lot of experience up there this season, it just felt like the level was up again. And, and every year they come back, it's like, oh, cool. Like everyone's surfing this wave so, so well. I, I, did you get the same impression? Because obviously you've been there for a few times as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that statement. I think that you obviously see the people that have been there the most time practicing and experience. And actually, one of our co-broadcasters, AJ McCord, asked me a question before the event started. In one word, what would I describe the surf ranch with? And I think it's preparation. You know, you see the people that are best prepared outside, inside the water, and have the amount of practice and experience that you need there to be successful. And it's noticeable. Griffin had two semifinals before the win. And Carissa had already made the final several times and won before. So I think that replication of, of a lot of excellent results before, you know, really did factor into this result here. And the rookies, well, they weren't prevailing for that same reason. And I think that actually leads into our first segment, Dave. Winners and losers. I'll start off with losers. And I think the uh, loser number five right here was actually, uh, it's an awkward answer, but I think it's very realistic and it's truthful to what we saw at the surf ranch and it's stock standard boards. I don't think stock standard mm. boards are working as well as they used to at the surf ranch anymore. The only person that can maybe say different is Ethan Ewing. He was riding a DNA. It was a six one from Darren Hanley designs and that thing looked great. But besides him, I can't really think of anybody else that was riding, you know, a squash tail, normal board that he would probably ride outside of the pool in the surf ranch. And I think it's really nice to see the evolution of surfboards going into a wave that was designed to evolve surfing and and progress surfing to a point where we're seeing new designs, we're seeing new fins installed and um, new templates in order to progress surfing to a whole new level. And it was evident this weekend, Dave. That's a great one, you know, and, and we have that conversation on this podcast so much, especially when we talk to CT surfers. We're like, what kind of camp are you in? Are you my my polyurethane thruster Ferrari board I ride every single day regardless of the conditions? Or do you like to experiment? And so many of them are in that first camp, which makes a ton of sense. They want to keep that blade as sharp as possible and be prepared for when they have to battle the best surfers in the world. But it is always so interesting when someone switches it up, whether it's a quad fin setup or an epoxy or, you know, it, it, it happens so sparingly. You know, Dane Reynolds riding an MTFA in France or a dumpster yeah. diver at Lowers or Kelly's experimentation. That's really cool. And you're right. I think Surf Ranch is one of those venues where, and we'll probably get to it in the upcoming segment too, where the surfers and shapers are getting really collaborative on, hey, this mm -hmm. is a different kind of wave. This is a different kind of performance. Let's let let's break out of the box a little bit. Um, but that was a great one. Um, my first uh, loser from the Surf Ranch uh, Pro Percent by 805 Beer are, are kind of, it's a weird one, but it's sort of the surfers who, who have that innate, ocean language dialed right and, and by that i mean surfers like jack robinson even john john florence to to a point obviously john did better than jack but my point is is you have surfers like john and jack and a few others that when they get in the ocean their read on it, even amongst the world's best surfers, is a cut above, yeah. right? They, they understand the currents. They understand what the bank is doing. They understand which wave to take, what the entry speed should look like, when to push, when to hold back. They have this other gear out in the ocean that really separates them. And, 
And I think it was uh, notably absent from some of those surfers, obviously, like at Surf Ranch, it's a different wave. That, that part of the equation of wave selection, positioning, et cetera, is completely taken out and it's an entirely different challenge. So it was just interesting to see the, the balance between different kinds of surfers out there and some of them who have advantages in the ocean having that go away. Excellent point you bring up right there. I was actually kind of thinking the same for my fourth one. And um, you bring it up at, at an exact time, too, when I think you're still seeing the surfers that have dominated before at the surf friends still do well. Gabe made the quarters. Yes, he didn't make another final, but, you know, had a tough matchup against Ethan Ewing. Maybe played it a bit too safe. But when we talk about John John Florence, we talk about Seth Moniz in the same kind of category. I feel like he has the same ocean read as well. He wasn't here to do a back injury. But Jack Robinson is the same thing. And I know he was nursing mm. an injury that, you know, pulled him out of Margaret River. But if you take a spot in the event, you know that you're committed to surfing in it. So um, props mm. to Jack for going for it, but it just doesn't seem like he was 100%. And I'll actually backtrack on that. That'll be my fourth loser as well. I, I really do think that the people that have a great experience in the ocean and can read the ocean at a certain level, maybe don't replicate that same kind of thing in a freshwater environment like the surf ranch. And I think where it's noticeable the most is when they're needing a big score. They have a pressure situation. When you feel that in the ocean, you can manufacture something out of nothing. And you see that with mm. the very elite, Felipe, Gabe, John, John Kanoa, et cetera. You can't see that in a wave pool. Everybody has the exact same chance. Yes, maybe a wave might be just a little bit more different than the other. But when it comes down to it, you have a canvas that you need to paint on. And if you're not able to do it in that four or 500 yard wave, you're not going to be able to get it done. And I think it was really noticeable here, especially in the night surfing session. Few people had really experienced surfing under the lights like that. And John John was a case in point. His board looked great. I just didn't think he performed the way we expected him to, knowing that he had a lot of great sessions in the dark arts boards by Paisel. And more importantly, mm -hmm. a lot of reps this week before he went to the surf ranch to compete. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the lights, and, and my second loser from Surf Ranch Pro is actually the, the innovator uh, himself, uh, Mr. Kelly Slater. Now, there's been a lot of conversation about Kelly post-cut, wild card, how that impacted Ramsey, etc. Um, my personal opinion is if anyone is deserving of a wild card, absolutely him. But the pressure was on mm -hmm. at, at Surf Ranch. And I was actually driving up, excuse me, during uh, his opening heat of the morning. And he looked fantastic. Um, specifically on the left, <clears throat> I don't think I've seen anyone ever do a figure eight roundhouse cutback on their backhand in either direction at Surf Ranch. And he opened up on the left and he was just drawing very, very cool lines. And it was, it was great to see. And he was surfing fantastic at night too, but just, just stumbled um, a little bit, you know? And, and I think that when you look at someone like him, you look at his aspirations, not just for the rest of this year, but for 2024 and his experience at Surf Ranch, for sure he wanted to be there on the final day. And I think he gave it a good nudge, but just came up short under the lights on Saturday night. Uh, on Saturday night, I mean, he was one of the first people to ride a wave and I was able to be in the booth for the call. And I can just tell you when he stood up on that ride, he just seemed like he was inspired and motivated to make it into the quarterfinals next day. And one slight miscalculation just put him off for you know, the entire rest of the wave. And he ended up with a four that could have easily been an eight or a nine, you know, based off of his capabilities and how well he knows that wave. But, um, you know, big props to Kelly. He went out there and he tried to prove things. He was saying right there at the surf ranch in his airstream too. I think 
you know, first heat of the morning on Saturday was 7.38 a.m. He was the first surfer to go out there. I think he woke up at 7, literally half an hour before, piled out, stretched, <laughs> but he looked very focused. And um, I, I was very pleased to see Kelly's performance there. Hopefully he gets to surf, you know, that same way um, for the next few events on the championship tour. My third loser, Dave, and um, it's, you know, thinking outside of the box, it's the lack of innovation that we saw at the surf ranch this year. I thought a lot of people, mm. even after the midseason cut, I thought there was less pressure on the surface because really the only thing right now is working on, on your seed for next year and wanting to qualify for the WSL Final Five and the Rip Girl WSL Finals. I thought there were many waves, and that's why it's so hard to differentiate a lot of these scores mm. that goes from the six to the seven point range because there's not a big difference in what they're doing. Subtle differences, yes, but major differences, no. And I thought there was a lot of repetition, especially on the right. The left tends to be much harder to surf. You need to be a lot more creative on that one. But when it comes to the right, I just felt like a lot of people were still trying to capitalize on a lot of tube time, either outside or on the inside. To be different, to be scored differently, you need to be innovative and progressive. And I still felt that the, the lack of variation and a point of difference by a lot of the surfers just uh, focused on the repetition on these waves mm, that's really interesting and that kind of lines up with, with my third loser out of surf ranch which is just the damned if you do damned if you don't nature of having to judge that wave. you know I'm, i think it's probably the hardest wave on tour to judge mm -hmm. and i think your comment on the surfer's approach this year explains it perfectly, right? There wasn't a ton of innovation, but the standard, quote unquote, standard world-class level of rail-to-rail -rail surfing combinations, like flawless technique, seemed faster, seemed more powerful, seemed more on edge than at any other event I'd ever seen there. But then you also have to deal with individuals who maybe they're not doing that exact kind of surfing. Maybe they're trying to cram in innovation not cramming, but they're trying to execute innovation at yeah. the expense of some of that full speed on rail surfing. And it's just, it is one of those things where we saw a lot of scores gravitate towards that six range, you know, and the ones that elevated above truly popped, especially on finals day. But yeah, it is, it is a thankless job having <laughs> to parse the different approaches to the world's best surfers in that base. And as you pointed out, we are post-cut Everyone has uh, survived the cut. They've qualified for the start of the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season. We are all now hunting for a spot in the Rip Curl WSL Finals this September. In a way, the pressure is off, right? You, you, you should feel more free and liberated to try different things, to be really innovative, to go for those nines instead of those sixes. Exactly. But across the board, we didn't see a lot of it out there. Yeah, I, I fully back that why are you only thinking that 12 points is going to cut it here at the surf ranch, especially on the men's side? You know, there's two people that had only won here before, and you're still trying to surf this wave like if we're a normal QSE. You can't go out there and do that. You have four chances in your qualifying round heat. Fourth place got out of the event in the initial round. And if you make it to the night surfing sessions, back-to-back -back waves are counting your best. And I think that's why I really like Kelly's approach in the night surfing session. He went for it. Mm -hmm. He knew he didn't have any other option. And I actually think... That's where my second losers come from. The people that weren't able to capitalize on the night surfing session, a bonus round for them to advance into the quarters on both the men's and the semifinals on the women's side throughout the night surfing session. Stephanie Gilmore had a good right. Wasn't as good, though. It was a 7.17, I believe. Lakey Peterson had something in the sevens. And then once again, we just can't see a lot of these people. Ryan Callen and the birthday boy on Saturday. By the way, happy birthday, Ryan. 
I uh, hope you had a great time. If you see his Instagram post, he loved it. He says, like, thanks for renting out the Surf Ranch WSL for me and my <laughs> friends. But all these people that I think are top 10 surfers, even Kanoe Garashi told me that, you know, he thought it was a close wave between him and Italo to make it into the quarterfinals right at the end. He was qualifying sure. in second. There was just a slight he- number of hesitation by a lot of these surfers that kept their rides in the six or seven point range. Case in point, Jordy Smith as well. He just seemed a bit too tentative to try to go for big things when he knew a spot in the quarters here at this point of the year was crucial for the rankings for them. It's a great point. It is a great point. Well, we've covered the losers, Mitch. Um, let's go through our three winners each. Who do you have first on the winners list for you from the Surf Ranch Pro presented by 805 Beer? Well, I'm going to start off with a bit of a wild card, but I thought he's very deserving of this performance. It's Ethan Ewing and Stradbrook mm. Island's own... Um, you know, he looked amazing. I think he he brought a sense of difference to surfing at the surf ranch. You know, it doesn't all have to be airs. And progression and innovation isn't only in the air. It's also on the rail. And I, I thought he brought mm. a lot of variation with those combos and major maneuvers on the open face. His barrel riding was great. Dropped a 9.07 in the quarterfinal against Gabe. Added some pressure. And literally just got what was necessary in order for him to tie the heat. But since he had the highest wave out of the two surfers, he moved on through to the semifinals. As of right now, you know, he was number five going into the event in the rankings. And I believe it changed quite a bit. Number four, 28,895 points for him now, Dave. Crucial point for Ethan Ewing at this year's Surf French Pro presented by 805 Beer. Yeah, that is a, a great one, Mitch. And and. I won't say this concretely, but Ethan has to be up there in terms of the like fittest surfers on tour. The guy works out like a machine. He's super strong, and he was huffing and puffing at the end of those waves. Like th- this is a very physically taxing wave for the surfers. And uh, but yeah, he was he was incredible uh, in my opinion. You know, my my first winner. We mentioned it already, but um, it's just the new format. You know, in, in my humble opinion, you know, we, we talked about we've ran a number of events at Surf Ranch over the past couple of years, championship tour events, exhibitions, team events, et cetera, and have experimented with formats throughout all of them. And, and this year's format with the opening round consisting of four surfers, first advancing to the following day's quarterfinals, second and third entering that night's uh, surf off for a spot in the quarters and fourth being eliminated right away. It just had stakes from the jump. And, and I was driving up on Saturday morning. I had it on and I'm like, this is really, really engaging. And it just seemed like a super clean format on both days. Um, I got a ton of text from, you know, magazine owners and uh, podcasters and just surfers around the world that really enjoyed it as well. So, um, you know, hats off to the tours and competition department on that one, Jesse Renato, Travis Kayla and the crew. Um, I really enjoyed that format. And I think it's something that maybe it gets optimized in the future at Surf Ranch. Maybe elements of that can get drafted into other CT events too. That's actually going to be my second winner, Dave, and I'm um, glad that he brought it up. Big points for me. I thought the night surfing session was amazing. I think it really elevated the performance, and it truly personified what these surfers are. They're the highest and most world-class athletes there are. I mean, period. There's people that had to surf, what, eight waves during a day on Saturday? That's a lot of work to be done right there, and when you look at it overall, I just think the format was the best one we've ever seen at the Surf Ranch. I thought it was the most exciting. And there was a lot to lose for certain surfers, too. When you look at somebody like Kitalo Fajera, mm. without that second chance of circling the night session, 
he wouldn't have gotten his best result ever at the surf ranch. I've been super critical of him at the surf ranch. I thought his pacing was always off. Sure. He shut me up and I'm glad he did because he ended up with a runner up finish qualified literally on the last wave as he was the highest seed in the night surfing session. And that's exactly what you want to see. That's how he won his world championship in 2019 against Gabe, both one and two in the world met in the final at pipeline. He ended up winning and that's what got him the world championship in 2019 at pipe here at this event specifically Drops an 8.5, knocks down Kanoi Garashi, who had an 8.3. Surf great, by the way, and moves into the quarterfinals. Defeats Joao Shianka and comes back against Ethan Ewing in semi number two. I thought this format was amazing. On the women's side, I thought it really, really showcased the talent of the women. Katie Simmers was really able to showcase her talents. I thought she was one of the biggest stars of the event. Caroline Marks, another final. And what about Carissa Moore winning the whole thing again? And it worked out in her favor because she didn't have to surf the night session after dropping the highest heat total in the initial round. So all in all, I think that worked out very well. And it's attractive to our audience, too. And especially for trying to promote the surf ranch and have it as a staple on the CT, it worked out the way it should. It's a great point. And um, I had the good fortune of um, standing next to uh, uh, Idla's uh, manager mentor you know at billabong chris hefner who's been in the trenches for years is a great guy um that night on saturday and he was just almost emotional at at italo's performance and because he's had a a year where he hasn't even cracked the quarters yet right and um for him he, he was saying you know to get that result in those conditions at that venue meant meant a lot you know because he is a world title talent and, and and just hasn't been in the mix this season so it was very cool to see actually relates to my my second winner from the event and uh cannot be denied at, at the surf ranch pro it was just red bull surf team you know they went four for four on finalists at the surf ranch pro carissa caroline griffin and Adelo, which is really really impressive and i know we i think we talked about early in the year but i had the pleasure of heading to uh red bull headquarters in salzburg earlier this year for a work trip and we were given a deep dive on 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 how they work with their athletes it was a really interesting experience and you know they not only invest initially in the talent but they continue to invest in that same talent with a variety of things you know like diet and training and exercise and you know performance experts like sean hayes and the crew and it just delivered results it delivered results at surf France, and uh i wouldn't be surprised if it continued to throughout the season so yeah they're, they're my second big winner from from surf ranch great pick and uh, i just have to add a, a point right there uh, i was talking to a lot of my buddies the water ski team the water safety team chris Grimm, matt rom uh, terry collis among others and they actually told me that last year during the Ripple WSL finals, Italo, by the way, had made the finals two years in a row. And that's why it was so surprising to me that he hadn't even cracked the quarters this year. Back to my point, though. I think he drank drank tw- 12 Red Bulls during the Ripple WSL finals last year when he competed. 12, Dave. I'm not even kidding. 12 Red Bulls. And that's not even adding the amount of coffee that he probably had before. <laughs> and during the comp too so props to him he's it, just got a heart of a lion man and uh, i could it see him probably probably just would have finished the biometric readings would have just blown up his apple watch <laughs> <laughs> start smoking who's your who's your uh, who's your third winner from surf ranch rich or mitch oh uh, okay no surprise to anybody but how about the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings, baby? <laughs> you know how we do it here at the Lineup Podcast. And hell yeah, I thought it was amazing to give us some love. 
Um, really appreciative of all the shapers being there. We got a word in with Darren Hanley. Justin Turnus had some airtime on 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 the broadcast from Dark Art Surfboards. Was able to explain what John John was riding. A Kevlar top board, by the way, it was still um, carbon vacuumed. But uh, I just think overall, you know, Matt Biola's taking the lead in the Vizzo CT Shaper rankings with Mayhem. They actually had both champions and uh, two finalists on the women's side with Caroline and Carissa, and then Griffin winning on the men's side. But uh, I just think the Vizzo CT Shaper rankings have really added some spark and some element of um, variation to the competitive scene on the championship tour, both for the competitors and the actual shapers behind it. It's elevated the game when it comes to bettering their performance and their equipment. And overall, I just think it's very fun. I love it. And, and uh, it's a great segue into our next segment. And it also relates to my <clears throat> third and final winner from the Surf Ranch Pro because I, I picked something pretty similar. Just and we talked about it too, but just that surfer shaper collaboration at Surf Ranch, it's never been more visible. And I've never learned more about about it, you know, and you mentioned we had Justin Turnus, we had Britt Merrick, Darren Hanley and others that were coming up in the booth, giving way more insights um, than I'd ever experienced at this event or any event. And, and one of the key ones that I found really interesting that I heard over and over was the idea that the surfers and the shapers had collaborated on different equipment for the left and the right. So surfers yeah. would switch boards and they'd have slightly different board lengths, you know, maybe different fins, maybe thruster to quad, you know, different constructions. And I, it was awesome. Like, I, I just found that really interesting to see how the approach to the waves advanced over the years. Um, and that approach and that collaboration between the surfers and shapers, like, completely delivered on the advancements in performance as well. It was really cool. It's true. Entirely true. I think it's elevating the game. I actually think that's why the staple of the surf ranch being on the CT is true. Um, I think it just elevates the game both in and outside of the water, especially when you have the shapers there. They're actually able to presence uh, not only what the wave does in person, but what the surfer does in person as well. And it's a huge game change when it's uh, coming to looking at the broadcast to looking at it live. So um, I encourage everybody, if we do have the event next year, which I'm crossing my fingers we do, and we have a format similar or if not even better to this year, Buy your tickets ahead of time because it's going to be really fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Great. Now we are going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will dive deep into the Visla CT Shape Rankings update. We'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. As surfing makes its impressive showcase for the second time at the Olympic Games Paris 2024, Samsung is capturing every epic moment through a new docuseries and a celebration of our culture, bringing the spirit and stories of surfers, including Joanne DeFay, John John Florence, and Jack Robinson to the forefront. Want to dive deeper into our world? Visit youtube.com slash at Samsung. Okay, we are now back. It is now time for the Visla CT Shaper Rankings update. Shaper Rankings! Quick background on how we're measuring performance this year. Shapers are given points based off the performance and results of the surfers surfing on their boards that finish in the quarterfinals or better. It is a combined rankings, men's and women's. The higher the surfer places, the more points that shaper receives. We're going to be tracking the Visla CT Shaper rankings from event one through event 10 and crown a winner before the Rip Curl WSL finals this September. So we've been saying it. All year, we do these uh, post-event wrap readouts that go to all the shapers and, and marketers and team managers and everyone that wants to get them. Uh, and we get a ton of feedback on those as well. But we've been saying it all year. So much can change from event to event. After Margaret River, you saw Darren Hanley and DHD Shapes take the lead. They've had a huge run throughout Australia. Here at Surf Ranch, though, as you mentioned, it's Matt Biolas and Mayhem. They took pole position from DH. We still have Sharp Eye in third, Channel Islands in fourth, and Pizel rounding out the current top five. You know, Mitch, you were laser focused on equipment up there. What did you notice about the surfers who are riding Mayhems? And as you pointed out, it was the first time all season we'd had a single board builder win both the men's and women's event at an event with uh, Carissa Moore and Griffin Colapinto taking the Surf Ranch wins for Mayhem. But Mitch, what did you notice about those particular boards and how they worked at Surf Ranch? Well, the main thing I noticed about Mayhem surfboards was that all of their surfers that made finals day had a previous experience at this event. And in particular, on finals day, Carissa Moore had been a champion before. She has made multiple finals there, ends up with another win. Caroline Marks had also made finals day before, hadn't made the final, but she had made the semis. And once again, Griffin Colopinto, third year in a row that he's at least making the semifinals and cracks a huge win here in home soil in California and in the United States. So I think the amount of experience that those surfers provided, and especially when they are able to drive up to the surf ranch, it's only what? four, maybe five hours from San Clemente for a lot of these surfers. And if you're coming from northern L.A., maybe three and a half. So um, a big opportunity for them to showcase their skills here. It's a lot of experience, a lot of practice runs under their belt, too. And I think it added an element of surprise for them as well, which is something that was necessary for their performances. 
Carissa coming from back-to-back wins now. This is amazing going into El Salvador. I see these boards being replicated in terms of great use down there in Central America. Mm. And for Griffin Cole, Pinto, the same kind of thing. He's on a roll, coming up from a runner-up finish at Margaret River, a win here, and then going into an event that he won last year in El Salvador. A great, great spot for Mayhem to be in right now. You mentioned before, uh, you know, Justin Turnus from Dark Arts being there and, and Dark Arts being a vacuum bagging, you know, carbon associated construction uh, organization for board builders, right? And, and they're mm-hmm. producing boards in collaboration with DHD, SharpEye, uh, Pizel, a, a number of others. He was really insightful on the broadcast about what he had been building, particularly for John John, but other surfers we noted. Kanoa, Felipe, Steph, Steph, who actually had, I think, tried those boards out at Snapper during the CS event as well. You know, with your experience on that construction too, Mitch, what is the advantage of it at a wave like the Surf Ranch? And and if there are, what are maybe some of the disadvantages? Well, I think the biggest advantage is that you have a larger amount of buoyancy. So the board is above the water more than it's actually in the water. You're usually not engaging your reel as much as you would in the ocean because you can't really put as much amount of power on the rail as a down carve or as a full carve moving backwards because the wave's moving forward the entire time. There were several surfers that were able to do that. They were more on a PU mm-hmm. or another epoxy template. But for the dark arts specifically, it's buoyancy and the flex patterns. Mm-hmm. The flex patterns change with the dark arts board. So imagine a PU being able to flex a lot like this, up and down. It really reacts to the way you're impacting your board every time you land a turn, an air with a dark arts board you're not getting that same amount of impact it's usually a lot more stable and that means when you come out of a turn or a big air you're able to move down the line quicker because your reaction time is quicker as well right. that's the biggest factor for me you saw stephanie gilmore ride one you saw felipe once again on the board they won the world championship last year and mm-hmm. the last time we were at the surf ranch in 2021 he had one on that board it was a quad an ft model can garashi the same thing so some surfers found a lot of success but there are a few people that have been trying it out for the first time, like John John. He said that his practice runs the week before had been great. And I think the biggest disadvantage that maybe it got into a couple of surfers' mind a bit too much. They were a mm-hmm. bit, you know, maybe not displeased with the use of the PUs, but they were maybe too overhyped with a different kind of material. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets in your head. You can be your own worst enemy out there. And that's the worst thing to be when you need a result in event number six. Really interesting. In the last episode, you and I talked about the impact of the midseason relegation and the narrowing of the men's and women's fields by a third and how that impacted different teams that are competing in the Visla CT Shaper rankings. Um, you know, this event, we saw the return of Joanne DeFay for, for Team Sharpie, which added to their event total. Um, the balance of having, you know, performers on both the men's and women's side so so important for this uh for these rankings additionally the team size thing does come into play but we do have a number of board builders out there that for whatever reason they they work with one surfer right and i'm thinking of chris borst out of san diego who has moved up to number six on the visla ct shaper rankings with just one surfer, Katie Simmers. Um, super impressive. We saw Patterson uh, hit the rankings for the first time this year on the back of Idolo Fajera's performance. But any other observations from you, Mitch, with with regards to the shapers that were in play at Surf Ranch? Um, I think 
the personal relationship of Matt Violas is noticeable with the surfers. With the surfers, Carissa Moore has been riding those boards since she was just a teenager. Griffin Colopinto from San Clemente, he's been on those boards for his whole life. He has his brother Crosby on the team too, who might make the CT later this season if he qualifies for the CS. Caroline Marks, a longtime staple of mayhem, he knows all these surfers so well, and even Yago Dora too. I actually asked him during one of my breaks. I went and chatted to him. He's He's in love with the fact that we're doing the Vizla CT Shaper rankings. He did say that he wants more separation for the people that win events and not just make the quarterfinals. So he doesn't want to see, you know, the amount of surfers that make a team, make the quarterfinals, get more points. We'll talk about that later, Matt. I told him. We'll, we'll see about next season. But um, I asked him how many boards he thinks he makes a year for Yagodora. He says probably around 100. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that's a good number. I remember Taj Burrow saying that from Firewire, the first couple of years when he was trying the boards out, he probably got around 150. Yeah, 100 boards a year is no joke. No, and that's usually not even counting trade-ins either. So I think um, the amount of personal relationships, not only by by Matt Biolos, great to have Bert Merrick there and Brent Power, who's super close with him, the team manager for Channel Islands. That to me, the level of intimacy between a surfer at the highest level and their shaper is equally as important as a relationship between a surfer and the wave that they're about to ride. I think you touched on this just briefly before, but I'm going to ask you again, Mitch. You have a lot of experience with the upcoming events, right? We're at Punta Roca at El Salvador. This is for stop mm-hmm. number seven and Sacuarema in Brazil for stop number eight. Do you th- Surfers sometimes throughout history will find their magic board that they'll keep on ice and they go, this is my moneymaker. This is the one that... <laughs> I ride everywhere, you know, everywhere within reason. Do you think any of the boards we saw, these specific boards we saw at Surf Ranch, are going to make an appearance in El Salvador and or Sacramento? And and if so, why? This is a really tough question to answer. Um, well, look, I know that Felipe is probably going to be, be bringing down at least one of those boards. The, the quad that he just rode, that Dark Arts is coming down. He's going to have one in the quiver for sure. I, I know Kanoa is bringing one down at least. Uh, and I'm actually, you know, um, I've been talking to Kanoa about what his plans are before the U.S. Open because that's a big event for him late July, early August here. He's going to El Salvador. He has ISA World Surfing Games like a lot of other surfers have on the CT just to keep their provisional qualification in, in place for a, a Paris 2024. But he's going to El Salvador. He's going to be there for a few weeks for both that event and the CT. Then he's going to the CT in Sacuarema and then he's going straight to J-Bay. Mm-hmm. So there's no time in between. What happens here is that I think a lot of these boards, you have a relationship that has been built on a solid foundation with both your shaper and the waves that you're riding. And you just know that something's going to ride as soon as you stand up on that board. And for me, especially with Felipe's quad that he rode last year at Lowers to win the World Championship, that's the board that I feel everything else fails. He can go to that, and he knows how it's going to work. Will it maybe work in different conditions that he hasn't used it in before? They're adaptable. We're talking about the very best surfers in the world. So um, I think we'll probably see at least 50% of the surfers take boards that they rode here into the next few events. What do you think, Dave? Uh, man, you're the expert on this. I think you're right. And I think your note about the ISA World Surfing Games, which is coming up just before the next CTs, 
a, a good indicator, right? Because the CT surfers uh, performing there are not performing so much to win the event. They're performing to become eligible to go to the Olympics where their qualification is focused via the CT rankings, right? But because they'll have that opportunity, they'll be in El Salvador. I think you're absolutely right. It's a great opportunity to check boards out. Maybe some of those dark art boards we've seen over the last couple of events, they bring them down there, see how they feel in the waters off of El Salvador. And if they spark, they could feature up in the upcoming event. I think that's a great note. Yeah. And uh, I also want to give big props to uh, Jason Stevenson from JS for still only having really one surfer left on the CT now. And it's Ryan Kaladin. And uh, so far, Ryan's garnered a few points every now and then. I mean, he had the runner-up finish at Bells, which was huge for him. But um, it goes to show you that we see such an increase in what's popular and what's working at a certain point of time in professional surfing. Right now, Sharp Eye is absolutely on top. I mean, despite what the Shaper rankings say, obviously, in terms of popularity, everybody wants to ride a Sharp Eye. Mm. Mayhems are always going to be there. Channel lines are going to be there. But we've talked about this before, Dave. JS used to be on top of the pinnacle. I mean, Bruce Irons, Andy, Jeremy oh, Flores, everybody was everyone. riding them. Yeah. And now they've come down to only one single surfer. I think it's time for them to really elevate their popularity once again in Australia and make a big comeback. It's a great note, and I know that the, the Visla CT Shaper rankings are specifically for the CT, but we both would have seen post-relegation, Sammy Pupo look like he, looks like he shifted almost exclusively to JS surfboards. He was on fire at the opening event at Snapper Rocks, and he yep. looked fantastic. So, you know, I think it's you know high tide, low tide, right? Things ebb and flow, and, and I think some of these programs, they've got great teams. Those teams age out of the CT for whatever reason, and then it's about rebuilding. We've talked about it with Brit and Brent at Channel Islands as well. They've been through a few years of rebuilding, and now they're right there in the mix. So it's it's mm -hmm. very, very cool, and, and uh, we very much appreciate Visla because it gives us an opportunity to highlight these stories and the investment they make in the world's best surfers. Uh, we're going to take one more quick ad break, and when we come back, we will answer listener questions. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% 
off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. Welcome back, everybody, to the lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm your co-host, Mitchell Salazar, here for one of the funnest segments we have here on the lineup, Instagram fan questions. Remember, we want to thank everybody for riding at the lineup pod. And if we don't answer on today's episode, we'll do our best to answer in our DMs, as we always do. Dave, you ready for our first question? Let's go. All right. From at Norbel R. Do you think the lack of wave prediction needs needed to remove a key factor or did it remove a key factor of pro surf competition? Got it. Yeah. Now that, that is a really good question. And I think it's, <clears throat> excuse me, a really good question as it relates to surf ranch as a championship tour venue, because it's something that we've talked about quite a lot uh, over the last several years. And one of the conversations that I always go back to, um, you know, talking with the surfers, talking with some of the world champions and, a point was brought up and they said, look, you know, if you look at this variety of waves that you have on the championship tour that are meant to test the world's best surfers year in and year out and see which surfers are performing the best in a variety of world-class waves to get a shot at the world title at the Rip Curl WSL finals. They said, you know, you can almost distill every venue down to a single challenge, right? Like at somewhere like Jeffrey's Bay, it's probably the pacing, right? It's a Mm -hmm. very fast wave. And, you know, of course you have to do a ton of things to score well there, but pacing is like the core challenge there. Um, At a place like Chopu, it's essentially the positioning and the criticalness of the drop, you know, and, and, uh, not speaking from experience, but I'll be cribbing the Hobgood (laughs) brothers who have plenty of experience out there. You know, they're on record as saying it's a technically pretty simple wave, you know, when you get down to it, it's, Everything about that wave is where you're positioning yourself and your drop. You know, once you set your line, there's not a lot to do except hold on, right? So that's the challenge there. And I think, you know, when we're talking about all these things and Surf Ranch got brought up, of course, you don't have to predict waves. There's no wave selection there. It's the pressure. It's the pressure of knowing I have a canvas that is essentially perfect. So the fault is on me. You know, even if you get a perfect wave out in the ocean, in the back of your mind, you're always like, eh, it's, it's in the hands of the universe here. Like something could go wrong. The ocean is, yeah. the ocean is unpredictable. It's the most dynamic field to play in all the sports. But at Surf France, it's the pressure. People are watching you. They know mm-hmm. when you're going to catch that wave. They know when it starts. Mm-hmm. They know when it finishes. And it's all up to you. And to a person, they said, that is a challenge as far as world-class venues go that is unique. It's not at any other spot. And, and in terms of testing the world's best surfers, they, they all kind of concluded it was additive. So, yeah, I, 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 really liked, I really like that approach to the design. And um, I think it's completely true at Surf Ranch. There is a sub-question to this question, which is from Et Dan JC 263 who asks, does having the same wave over and over make commentating easier or harder? Now, Mitch, you are uniquely positioned to answer this one after this weekend. <laughs> the answer is both. Um, Cause you need to be as excited as you can for every wave. 
but you also don't want to be repetitive and it's it's super fine line <laughs> it's a super fine line but um i think what changed this year was the formatting for myself um i'm pretty sure joe could tell you the same thing too but uh just the fact that we had more stakes on the line mm. from the get-go, the qualifying round. You had people losing out in the qualifying round already. And then you had the night surfing session. To me, it just added, added an element of surprise and variation to the way we competed here at the Surf Ranch. And uh, that, to me, was um, exciting. It was surprising. And uh, we had some really surprising results, too. I mean, Jack Robinson coming back, he was you know within the top five. Joao Shianka, I didn't necessarily expect him to do that well. Mm. made the quarters i mean that's at least something big for him he was number one now he's down to number three but that's still you know a good result for him when you look at the rest of the year um so to answer the question it's both it's harder and easier but um i still definitely have to go harder uh, the job's not easy um <laughs> the second question dave at dimitri moreira pinto can you guys as surfing analysts and commentators break break down the judging criteria Sure. This is always a hot topic of conversation, I think, particularly so after the Surf Ranch mm-hmm. Pro. Um, <laughs> criteria, it, it, it's it's interesting, right? It's it's online. There's nothing hidden about it. It's transparent. The surfers work with the judges. They're always talking about it. But essentially, the judging criteria in surfing breaks down to commitment and degree of difficulty, innovative yep. and progressive maneuvers, combination of major maneuvers, variety of maneuvers, and speed, power, and flow. Now that yeah. is is a broad interpretation of world-class surfing to be sure, but we're also dealing with a sport that in my opinion is probably the most watched and certainly the most passionately watched subjectively <laughs> scored sport on the planet. So that, we just talked about this in terms of how diverse the venues on tour are that criteria has to apply to waves as diverse as firing pipeline in Chopu to firing Jeffrey's Bay to the surf ranch to lower trestles, et cetera, right? So the judges take that general criteria and interpret it based on the conditions of that spot, on the conditions of the day, you know, and commitment at pipeline is not going to mean the same thing as commitment at surf ranch. Um, and for sure, like it is a passionately watched sport. You get people piping off about scores on both sides. Um, but I will say the, the, the organizational structure of the judging panel, they're all world-class surfers in and of themselves. There's men, there's women. They're all of mm-hmm. an international background. Um, every event has, you know, seven to eight uh, CT judges present. Every heat is scored with a panel of five judges, again, international background. Um, They throw five scores for every wave. They drop the highest score, they drop the lowest score, and then they average the middle three, which ultimately is the one that goes into the computer, it goes into the score line. And that setup is designed to eradicate any specter of uh, national bias, you know, goofy footer bias, whatever bias, you know. Um, And it's something that's worked over and over and over, you know, we consistently see the world's best surfers getting better um, every year. And um, I wouldn't say that anything is perfect, but that is a tried and true system um, that we work on um, at the WSL. And and those guys have a tough job, but but guys and girls have a tough job. But um, yeah, I think they do a great job. So do I. And, and I think it's really important to clarify, too, that there is direct communication between the athletes and the judges. Not during the event specifically, but outside of the event hours, 
they have direct judges, whether it's communication through WhatsApp, through text, through an actual phone call. And they're usually at the event site for the most part, too. So um, if there's ever anything that they want to clarify or get better um, evidence as to why certain scores might have been lower or higher, they can always ask them. And um, that's why communication is such a big thing here in, in professional surfing. They've, uh, you know, I, I truly think that as a subjective, subjective sport, um, they're always might be a gray area when it comes to the way they score um, because certain things, you know, could be seen a certain way, but that's why it's subjective. You know, one people, one person can have an opinion on certain thing. Another person can have an opinion on certain thing, but you, you usually don't see a huge difference when it comes to scoring one particular thing at the surf ranch. And that's why I think this venue in particular is the hardest venue to judge out of the entire 10 that we have on the CT. It is a great note, and I and I and I think that's a good thing to bring up too, because <clears throat> I've I've had the good fortune of seeing it in person for two decades. But you know that interpretation of the judging criteria has always been collaborative between the surfers and the judges. Again, we're dealing with world class surfers on both sides of the conversation, but the judges absolutely utilize those surfers on the CT for that conversation mm-hmm. and the likes of Kelly's, Steph, you know, Julian Wilson. Uh, Lee, sorry, Lee Anderson, Lane Beachley, Joel, yep. Mick, Taj, everyone in those conversations, that, that's how they're able to kind of advance and say, look, we're advancing the interpretation of this criteria because maybe we're all agreeing that this particular maneuver or this particular maneuver done at that part of the wave or with that level of power and speed is more valuable than it was five years ago, or is maybe something we've never seen before. And it works the other way, yeah. right? When you have something you've never seen before, Maybe because it's new, it gets scored up. And then through conversation with the surfers, they go, look, that's that's just not as important or critical or as impactful as maybe something that you've seen in the past. And then that gets calibrated down. So it's a good question for sure. Um, the third question we have from the folks at, at the lineup pod is from at David Carson uh, with a one and a three in there. Um, awesome commentary from mitch over the two days so i'm guessing this question is for you which maneuver from which surfer was your favorite from the surf ranch pro well if if we're going off of attempts off of attempts it has to be katie shove it mm. um i mean just to see her try that thing was was sick uh in the moment and she came on she was like and i and i hope i'm not swearing or anything but she was even as i quote her I'm pissed off that I didn't land the shove it at the end of that <laughs> left. And that was during the night serving session. I thought that was so authentic, so cool from her. And, um, you know, I thought that was probably th- my favorite attempt when it comes to an actual favorite maneuver. There was one turn from Ethan Ewing specifically, I think on the 9.07 um, in his quarterfinal matchup against Gabe that he just laid it on rail. And I have seen very few people do a turn like that on the right out there. That thing is moving so fast. And people have no idea how difficult it is to keep a line like that when the move is moving down the line as, as quickly as it was. Um, I thought Carissa's layback on her best mm. score in the final was amazing, too. Uh, she dropped the highest score of, of the event. Um, but I think in particular, if I'd have to pick one, it's probably Katie's attempt on the left with a shove it. But uh, I want to get your opinion on this. Which one is your favorite? <laughs> yeah, you, you named a lot of good ones, you know. And, and I do think, like, going back to that prior question... <clears throat> one of the parts of the criteria, a combination of major maneuvers is something mm-hmm. that is so rad at Surf Ranch. Because as you said, we're seeing, you know, Ethan, Carissa, Griffin, Italo, Gabriel, Felipe, like 
the speed with which they're linking maneuvers, you know, Kelly's like, you know, again, backhand roundhouse cut back, like just, it, it was really cool. It was the best surfing I'd kind of seen um, ever at, at Surf Ranch. And, but if I had to narrow it down to one, I'm actually, you know, shock horror. I'm going to go with the exact same surfer, Katie Simmers, but I'm for me personally, I'm going to pick the moment just before the pop shove it attempt, which was her barrel. And oh, I yeah. just happened to catch it, yeah. but she did this amazing ra- hand rail transition. Like mm-hmm. she drops in, stabilizes with her inside hand on the rail and then switch to the, cor- not the correct, but the other stabilizing hand, the outside on the outside rail. And it was so smooth and so organic. And so just like, I'm sure she didn't intend to do it. She was just feeling her way through the wave and it looked awesome. And, and, and I've been, I wouldn't say skeptical, but certainly watching her very closely this year with all the talent she has and, and just wanting her so badly to be ready for this level of competition, even though she's so young, she's absolutely proven that. And at Surf Ranch in particular, she was one of my favorite surfers. So I'm going to go yeah. with uh, Katie Simmers, same exact wave, just one maneuver off. <laughs> The one maneuver before, but um, she's turning into everybody's favorite surfer right now. It's really cool to see her flourish at just 17 years of age, too. I think the sky's the limit for her. And, uh, you know, she's qualifying at the moment for the WSL Final Five and the Rip Curl WSL Finals. It'd be sick to see her compete there at lower trestles. I'm really excited for the back end of the season here and heading into Punta Roca. This is an event where I think um, a lot of stars from last year will flourish again. But I really, really like to see some new names in there, like Joao Shianka make finals day, potentially move back into number one. And on the women's side, I really have to throw out the names of Betty Lou Sakura Johnson and Gabriela Bryan doing well at this spot. It's a right with a lot of power, and it moves down the line real fast. I think the regular footers and both the goofy footers alike are going to have a great time at this wave. Great call. Well, that's it for this episode of The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan. That is Mitch Salazar. Mitch, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights. Uh, Love the episodes you put out while I was away. For those who haven't listened, make sure you check them out. Loved your commentary at Surf Ranch and uh, safe travels down to El Salvador. And uh, I look forward to talking to you every day and geeking out on surfing. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the love and uh, see you guys soon at Punta Roca. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations once again to Carissa Moore and Griffin Colapinto for claiming the Surf Ranch Pro presented by 805 Beer, as well as congratulations to Matt Biolis and the Mayhem Surfboards team for taking the leader position on the current Visla CT Shaper rankings. More to come there for sure. Event number seven on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Surf City El Salvador Pro, will commence on June 9th. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, the Kumie, and the Juaneño native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. 
We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 